Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm Father Stephen Roth, the Director of Vocations for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And today our guest is Zach Crowley. He's a fourth-year seminarian, a transitional deacon, uh, getting ready to be ordained a priest this June. And he comes from St. Mark's in Falston. Welcome, Zach. It's good to be here, Father Stephen. So, Zach, a lot of people are often intrigued uh, by a man like yourself coming forward to say, I'd like to discern a call to priesthood. So I thought it would be interesting if you could just share a little bit about um, the steps that it took for you to say, yes, I think I'd like to uh, explore this further and apply to become a seminarian. Yeah, my um, vocation story, as it's known in the business, uh, is a bit different than most people's. Um, I wasn't raised in a very religious family. We had a Catholic identity, but we didn't go to Mass that often. Um, But I always thought of myself as Catholic. The story really begins at the same place. It always, that my life took a radical turn for the worse, which was when I was 16, my father died. That obviously broke me on a very deep level. And that brokenness continued with me into college after I graduated high school. When I went to the University of Maryland, I was um, still not attending Mass, and I was using marijuana quite often as a coping mechanism to deal with the pain because God wasn't part of my life. I didn't really feel much of anything emotionally. And so that uh, drug use continued until the beginning of my second semester at Maryland. I was caught by two police officers. Um, And that wasn't the wake-up call I needed because even though I was undergoing random drug testing in order to stay in school, I uh, kept using when I wasn't being tested. And so about a year later, in the spring semester of uh, my second year at Maryland, I uh, failed a drug test. So at that point, I was devastated. Daya fell into a terrible depression, thinking I'm going to get thrown out of school my life is over, and I knew I needed help. So I don't know what it is. In retrospect, I'm pretty sure it was the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, But I contacted Father Rob Walsh. He was and still is the chaplain at the University of Maryland. I don't know, I I had always trusted priests. I'd always thought they had sort of themselves figured out in a way that the rest of us don't. So him and I sit down and I tell him my story and what I'm going through. And he says, Zach, you're not living a sacramental life. God is not a part of your life. Start going to Mass every Sunday. Let me hear your confession. It was the first time I'd been to confession in years. Start praying. Go to Eucharistic Adoration. Father, what's Eucharistic Adoration? (laughs) He had to explain to me. I'd never heard of it at that point. And um, I did those things because I was so broken that, you know, Whatever you told me to do to make the pain go away, I would have done. It just so happens I asked a priest, and he told me, dive into the spiritual life. And as you tried all those um, options or those suggestions, um, was it an overnight 
change, or was it more gradual? It was about a week, and after a week, I felt different. I felt light, like uh, all that pain had been taken away. The depression was gone, and I knew I was going to be taken care of. It really was a radical, radical change of life for me. So how soon after this personal conversion that you describe, how soon after that did you begin to start thinking, wow, I wonder maybe is God calling me to be a priest? Two more weeks. It was a total of three weeks from me meeting with Father Rob that the idea popped in my head that maybe I should be a priest. And what was your immediate reaction when you thought, wow, is this possible? You know, I got to admit, at that time, I was so open to it. Like, it wasn't, I didn't feel strange. It felt right. Like, it was such, I was so open to God at the time because of what I had experienced in those short, you know, that 20, 30-day period. Um, So, but I knew I needed to talk to someone, so I went back to Father Rob. And God bless the man. He could have told me, pump the brakes, kid. You know, even practicing Catholic three weeks. And said, he, said, he said, let's pray about it. And so we started to pray for my vocation. I think someone listening to your story might think, wow, for a young person to lose your dad at, at such an early point in your life, that you could easily blame God, and, and the last thing to do would be to want to dedicate your life as a priest of God. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to someone that would raise such an objection? I think blaming God for the terrible stuff that happens in our life is a quite natural reaction. It's a lashing out. And it's um, it's something that we may feel deep within our gut, that this is, this is God's fault. God did this to me. I think if we take that feeling and we turn it over to God and we say, this is how I feel about you right now, God can do wonders with that. Um, so don't be upset by that feeling because that's just a natural reaction. But everything that we feel, our emotions, our thoughts, we should turn over to the Lord and allow him to do with those emotions and thoughts what he desires to do. And that, can, that will always be beneficial. So, I mean, that's really quite remarkable, I mean, to have worked through such a loss and to, to see that in the perspective that you just described. I mean, speaks to, really, I think, the depth of your relationship with God. Um, can you tell us a little bit more, in addition to working through that very uh, challenging aspect of life, um, what else did you have to do to get ready to, um, as they say, sign on the dotted line to enter <laughs> seminary? So um, at the time, the vocation director was Father Austin Murphy. So uh, he came down to Maryland to meet with me. He pulled out this big packet of stuff and handed it to me. I started to flip through it. So there were tons of requirements for application to the uh, priestly formation program. Uh, so like you have to get like, what is it, like eight or ten letters of recommendation. You have to write a short autobiography. have to have a medical evaluation, a psychological evaluation. Um, so I just started to, you know, not take it in steps and knock it out piece by piece until uh, sometime after this, in, in, during the summer, sometime during the summer, I... Uh, it take me. It took me a few months to finish it all and to get it all together. Yeah. As you look back over the process, how would you describe having to complete an application that's that thorough and, and robust? It's uh, tedious and at times overwhelming. Um, it's uh, a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of looking into yourself, a lot of writing, 
it's a necessary process, but like most things that are necessary, it isn't always fun. <laughs> what do you think you learned about yourself through that application process? I learned that I really wanted to be a priest um, <laughs> because it'd be so easy to just write it off and say I can you know, get to that when I get to that mm -hmm. or uh, not take it seriously, but I did take it seriously and it strengthened in my own mind like, okay, all this stuff that's happened over the past few months, it's not just me being crazy. It's really it's the Lord speaking to me because I, ha I have a desire to do this and I'm willing to do a lot of work to get it done. Mm -hmm. In addition to Father Rob, who would you say uh, or which group of people uh, were your greatest support in applying to seminary? Um, it would be Father Jerry Francic. He was, um, so when I first decided to become, apply to become a priest, uh, Father Jerry had just been assigned as pastor of St. Mark in Falston, which is my home parish. And so I was there for daily mass, and the um, director of religious ed was there. And she uh, came up to me and was like, why are you at daily mass? <laughs> you, you, you weren't really that into this. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to be a priest. She got so excited, she said, you have to talk to the pastor. Um, he was vocation director for like 10 years. He just stopped being vocation director. Let me introduce you. And so we sat down, had a meeting. He gave me some uh, some books to read. And then from there, our friendship and his mentorship really took off. I mean, it's a huge advantage to have someone who recruited men to the priesthood for 10 years, teaching you what it means to be a priest. Um, and Father Jerry, I'm happy to say, will be the priest who vests me as a priest in just four short months. Wow, that's that's an amazing story. Zach, thanks so much for sharing what your life was like leading up to, to seminary and making that decision. We're going to take a short break and then when we come back I'm going to ask you some questions about what formation has been like uh, at St. Mary's Seminary in Roland Park. I'm Father Stephen Roth and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. We'll be back in a moment. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Francis Laurie, father of Archbishop William E. Laurie, died February 24th in Indiana, surrounded by the Archbishop and other members of his family. He had been battling pneumonia and was 98. Francis Laurie served his country on a U.S. Navy ship that ferried ammunition to the Battle of Okinawa. After World War II, he married Margaret, and the couple celebrated their 73rd wedding anniversary in January. The Archbishop's father spent 38 years with AT&T as a lineman, telephone installer, foreman, and equipment manager. In his homily for his father's February 27th funeral mass in Indiana, Archbishop Laurie remembered Francis Laurie as a man of faith who was devoted to his family. The Archbishop noted that his father was known as the man St. Joseph sent because his father and mother went on their first date on the Feast of St. Joseph right after the Archbishop's grandmother had completed a novena to St. Joseph for her daughter to find the right man to marry. On the occasion of his installation as Archbishop of Baltimore, Archbishop Laurie said his parents fostered his vocation to the priesthood. One of the first things I must have come to know was how seriously mom and dad took their faith, he said. The rosary was very much a part of our life, as was Sunday Mass. For more on this story and to read the Archbishop's homily, visit archbalt.org. Phil Clay, the award-winning author of Redeployment, will deliver Loyola University, Maryland's Humanities Symposium keynote address, The Wounds of War, on Thursday, March 12th at 6 p.m. in McGuire Hall in Baltimore. 
Once again, that's Thursday, March 12th at 6 p.m. in McGuire Hall on Loyola's North Baltimore campus. Phil Clay is a veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps whose short story collection, Redeployment, won the 2014 National Book Award for Fiction and the National Book Critics Circle John Leonard Award for Best Debut Work in Any Genre. For more information on the keynote address, which is free and open to the public, visit loyola.edu slash wounds of war. Again, that's loyola.edu slash wounds of war. Clay will be a featured guest on an upcoming episode of Catholic Baltimore. For more information on these and other stories, visit catholicreview.org. And for Lenten resources, stories, podcasts, and other materials for Lent, visit archbalt.org slash Lent. Again, that's archbalt.org slash Lent. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. I'm Father Stephen Roth, the Director of Vocations for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We're back with uh, Deacon Zach Crowley, who is excited to, God willing, be ordained this coming June. Zach, thanks for continuing this conversation. Well, thank you, Father Stephen. It's great to be here. All right, Zach, so our last segment, you spoke a lot about your journey to seminary. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what would you say an average day looks like at St. Mary's in Roland Park? All right, so um, we have, the first thing on the docket would be morning prayer. Uh, that's... Uh, technically the first hour of the Divine Office, uh, which we pray together in the chapel. Non-lazy seminarians like myself get up earlier and eat breakfast, but you know, <laughs> we can't all be perfect. Um, then classes start. So there's two 75-minute class periods in the morning, 
Mass is at 11.30, lunch following Mass, two class periods in the afternoon, and then evening prayer is at 5.15. And then after evening prayer, barring any special event in the evening, uh, you're free for the, until the next morning. Okay. So obviously that structure is designed by this uh, by the four pillars of, of formation. Just for our listeners, can you explain a little bit about what those four pillars are all about? Yeah, so the four pillars were um, promulgated by uh, Pope John Paul II, excuse me, Saint Pope John Paul II. Did I say that right? Not sure. Um, and that is human, pastoral, academic, and spiritual. And what it really seeks to do is that in these different aspects of human existence, a man striving for the priesthood must focus on them individually and together because each of those pillars is what holds up the structure that is the priest. And so a man must know his theology. He's got to have a good spiritual life, a prayer life. He has to be a well-formed person and just be able to converse, like, you know, do a radio interview. That's important. And he has to know how to speak to people in a pastoral setting and how to run a parish or to be a particular minister. And so each of those aspects, while different, are interrelated in the priest in his ministry. So when you're not working on those four pillars, can you tell us a little bit about what does some fun look like uh, as a seminarian? So a lot of guys, you know, on Friday or Saturday, we'll get together, maybe go out for dinner. Um, guys have different hobbies. You know, for instance, I love movies. So if I don't have anything planned on a particular night and I get all my reading done, which is rare, but I try, <laughs> um, I'll pop a movie in, uh, maybe watch some Netflix or uh, some Hulu. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because it's a unique environment. I mean, there's all these men who are striving for the same thing living together. So it's easy to find guys who have the same interests of you outside of um, formation and to do those things. Some guys like to play basketball. They go to uh, the gym and play. Uh, some guys like to play board games. Uh, some guys are more quiet and more introverted and they like to read. But there's anything that you would find that people like out in the world, uh, you would find in the seminary and you'd find guys who have those same interests. One of the things that I remember when I was a seminarian that brought the seminaries together uh, was the Vianney Cup. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit about that tournament? So the Vianney Cup is a soccer tournament that uh, was started maybe 15, 20 years ago between four seminaries. That's uh, St. Mary's in Roland Park, Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, St. Charles in Philadelphia, and Theological College in Washington. And the schools each put together a team of their seminarians and they rotate hosting it every four years and they go at it and see which team has the best soccer or which seminary has the best soccer team. Mm -hmm. Very good. As you look at your time in seminary, what would you say is the best part of formation? Growing closer to God. Okay. I mean, that's, that's easy. That's, um, there's other stuff, you know, learning theology, it's interesting. Um, making friends, that's amazing. Friends that are going to last a lifetime. But you grow as a Christian in the seminary and in ways that you really, that's hard to do outside of that environment. And how about conversely, what would you say has been the biggest challenge? You know, there's a lot of pressure in the seminary because, you know, it's, you're, you're signing up to do a really tough job. It's not easy being a priest. And, um, you know, you have to, you have a faculty mentor and advisor who 
you meet with once a month up thereabouts and you know he's telling you like hey this is what you need to improve on this is where uh you uh could grow as a person and that's always hard to hear i mean we're all prideful we all think that we got we got it all together um but we don't and part of being a priest is growing in humility and the seminary can be a humbling process so that's a di- it's difficult it's good but it's difficult i would think that one of the challenges i think that we can we could both agree uh impacts both your life as a seminarian and mine as a priest is the current scandal that the church is facing right now can you tell us a little bit about how that's impacted uh not only your discernment uh to want to be a priest um, but also all of the the misguided notions of so many rumors out there about what seminary is like and mm-hmm. um, how would you address those personally it makes me angry but it makes it makes me want to be a priest all the more because I want to be a good priest I want to go out there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and draw people closer to God and I want to delete the image of those men who committed those heinous crimes. I want to show what it truly means to be a priest, that it's not an opportunity to uh, take advantage of people and to hurt people. It's not this perversion of humanity, but it's a beautiful thing that God gave to the world for the benefit of everyone. Um, So my personal discernment, I'm strengthened in that because I want to go out there and help people rather than hurt. From an institutional perspective, uh, the seminary, uh, when the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report came out uh, August August of, uh, was it 2019, last year, or 2018? 2018. Um, We had listening sessions that entire semester where our rector, Father Brown, um, came and let us voice our concerns. And that was a very, it was healing to do so. Um, We talk about it. We talk about where the problems came from among the seminarians um, in an informal setting and formally with our formators, with the faculty, um, and how we can be part of the solution. So it's been taken very seriously in the seminary. I could say absolutely every seminarian thinks about it and wants to help to, to make the church healthier again. Let me ask you a pointed question. Do you feel that the seminary is a, a safe and wholesome place for men to truly discern a call to priesthood? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that everyone in the seminary, no matter what they're dealing with on a personal level, knows that it's a place of growth, it's a place of spirituality, but it's also a place where you, as an individual, can get the help you need for things like depression, for things like um, social anxiety disorder. Guys come into the seminary with varying stuff that they're dealing with because they're people and they're not perfect. But in my time, which is seven years now in the seminary, I've seen guys take those issues head on with the help of the faculty and their friends and to grow as people and then go on to be really good and holy priests. So from your seven years of experience, do you have any advice for a discerner that that might be listening to our conversation right now? Yeah, um, I can think of two things. Uh, first, pray. You gotta you gotta be talking to the Lord. Um, you have to be listening to the Lord. So, growing in your pe- prayer life, from I think most of us start out in prayer as um, sort of intercessory prayer, asking God for things. I think as we grow in the spiritual life, we start to 
listen to God more. And that's the sort of prayer that I think discerners need to move towards. It's, it's not easy to do. It's, it's, uh, it takes growth. It takes practice. But uh, you got to keep praying. And then secondly, you, um, you got to talk to someone. You got to talk to priests. You got to talk to your family. You got to talk to your friends. Bounce that idea off of people. And eventually, if the idea sticks with you, if it just keeps, stays there and it's in the back of your head, you got to take a shot and you got to go to the seminary. It's the only place you'll find out for sure. Well, Deacon Zach, thanks. This has been terrific to have this conversation with you. And please know of our prayers as we count down the days, God willing, to your ordination in June. Uh, you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. I'm Father Stephen Roth, the Director of Vocations. God bless you, and please keep praying for more vocations. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.